Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Pav. And I'm Neil. And welcome to the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's start the countdown! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. There are some actors that are good at comedy, some good at drama, and some good at action. There are some that are just movie stars. Kevin Costner is arguably one of those. From heartthrob to Oscar winner, Costner has starred in some of the biggest movies of the last five decades. Here are 10 KC Facts. Okay, Kevin Michael Costner was born on January the 18th, 1955 in Linwood, California and grew up in Compton, California. Give me the lumber. During his struggling days in Hollywood, he gave bus tours to Star's homes in Los Angeles. Run, dummy! Turned down a role in Platoon in 1986 because he thought it portrayed American soldiers in Vietnam negatively and didn't want to insult his brother, who was a Vietnam veteran. Spoke at the funeral of his bodyguard co-star Whitney Houston on the February the 18th, 2012. His favourite genre is Western. I mean, all I did was kiss a girl. Owns a 165-acre ranch outside Aspen, Colorado. Here ended the lesson. His role in Bull Durham was originally written for Kurt Russell. You got nothing I need. His frontal nude scene in For the Love of the Game was reportedly deleted after being met with laughter at test screenings. I know how he feels about that. I have just created something totally illogical. His first wife, Cindy Costner, played Snow White for Disneyland. I am home! And he turned down a role of Bill in Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 to direct Open Range in 2003 instead. Back and to the left. Thank you very much, Kevin, for all your wonderful clips there. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Costner movies. I've been looking forward to this one. The moment that we managed to sort this one out, and I'm so happy that we've got a Kevin Costner aficionado with us. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Movies in Focus podcast, will you please welcome Niall. Hello, Niall. Hello, and thank you for having me. Uh, Like I said, when we... I sort of got in touch with you and we, and we we said we'll do Kevin Costner movies straight away. For some reason, I've got an affinity with this guy. Um, 
I will I will explain it with some of the movies because there are very deep family connections with Costner. Uh, where's the connection? Where's the love with you? Um, strange enough, deep family connection connections with Costner. Um, sort of growing up, my my father sort of took us to. Um, I grew up in Derry in, in in Northern Ireland, and I remember I think we went to the uh, Foyle Film Festival, um, where the, the they were showing Field of Dreams. So that was sort of my first kind of Costner film. And I must have been nine, eight, nine at the time. So possibly on the touch on the young side, but I just remember sort of the, the power of it. And then obviously the, the untouchable. So sort of as I grew up, I kind of got more and more into Costner and sort of he became one of my favorite filmmakers as a director and as an actor. So I've had kind of loved his films kind of for 30 years now almost. Mm. And luckily enough, um, but 10 years ago, I ended up doing a set visit to uh, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, where I actually right. got to meet him, which was a phenomenal experience. You know, the people talk about people being charismatic. He was incredibly charismatic. You know, he was funny. He was commanding. So he, he was everything you would expect Costner to be. And he's also incredibly tall. He's a big, big man. Oh, which really? doesn't really come across on screen. You no, not remember. at all. He's he's sort of he's massive, you know, and sort of in every kind of way. So uh, so the, my sort of appreciation and, and love of Costner sort of sort of continued from I was about nine years old till sort of today. Wow, yeah, I mean that's very. I mean I, I didn't look to see how tall he was, but he never came across as somebody that was like a. I mean he's got what you're saying he's six foot plus, is he or? Yeah, I'm five nine, so I'm. I'm Admittedly, not the tallest, but he must be six one, six two, wow. and he's all, he's also very broad. He's a big, yeah, yeah. broad guy. So, which again doesn't really kind of show on the screen. Yeah. Now, I, I said before we uh, hit record that um, I was listening to your latest episode of uh, Movies in Focus, where you're talking to the the writers of Robin Hood. I was going to say Men in Tights, then, but that's completely <laughs> wrong. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, and I recommend, I'll put the link to the, the podcast in the show notes, but I recommend anybody that is a fan of that particular movie, have a listen to the episode. Because like I said to you, the one thing that was wrong with that episode, it was just not long enough. Yeah. And you managed to get some nice little sort of, I don't know, they were exclusives about the, the proposed sequel and things like that. But I'd never, that, I'd never heard that before. So, I mean, it was, never. It, it was coming at me and I was like, I've, you know, and I've read about the film, obviously. And, you know, I was like, and I've Googled it and no one seems to have, even asked them that question or you know over the past 30 years so it's, it, was, it was a shock to me as well <laughs> yeah so how did that how did that interview come about i got a, an email it was re-released by uh, by ro film uh just before christmas i think and so the pr guys kind of went would you be interested in an in interviewing these guys and i was like well, of course i am you know and sort of just i think it was literally about three days before christmas kind of recorded it and um but yeah, just great hearing about kind of how they came up with the, the idea and the, the development. And like you said, that the sequel that never happened, which sounded fantastic. You know, it just kind of like I could have lived not knowing that the sequel could have been as good as, as that sounds, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we will get onto that movie, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But it's, it's like a few of Kevin Costner, Costner movies. They do get lambasted a little bit, I think, very unfairly. Um for certain reasons, but like I say, we will get to that. Um, but we're going to try and do our top 10 at Kevin Costner. I'm okay. sure there'll be duplicates. I'm pretty sure there will be. Uh, but I'm fascinated to know what you've got as your number 10, Niall. 
Right. Possibly a controversial choice, but I have chosen for number 10, 3,000 miles to Graceland. Okay. Um, because I remember when that was first announced, obviously I'm a big Costner fan, but also a big Kurt Russell fan. Yeah. And kind of Elvis as well. And the concept of a bunch of guys dressing up as Elvis, robbing a casino in Vegas, I think is a great concept. Mm. And is the film... I mean, and I sort of I judged all my kind of tens, my top ten on kind of how much I enjoy them. Not necessarily they're the the greatest film. So yeah, the, the, like this one, would you say it's possibly one of the best films in Costner's filmography? No, but for me personally, I enjoy watching it. I enjoy sort of the zaniness of it, the the performances. I think he's great playing a villain, which is something he rarely does. Mm. Uh, Kurt Russell's very good in it, and. Um, I mean, I remember this, I think it came out 2001. It was um, 2001, yeah. Yeah, and it, it must have been around this time of year. I think it was like February. It was released in America. And it was involved, I don't know if you know, the whole the shenanigans with franchise pictures, the, the production company behind it. They kind of had all these legal issues. And it took a while for it to actually open here. And I think it just went straight to DVD. And, I mean, this is sort of 20 odd years ago. I, I emailed the producer of the film. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> it was taken. So this is sort of the, the internet was his early days. Going, where is this movie? What's and he was like, oh, there's there's issues with it, you know. And, and then it eventually sort of snuck out. I ended up getting an American DVD before it sort of came here. So I, I enjoy the kind of post Tarantino ness of it. Um, in fact, I tweeted something about it a couple of weeks ago, and some the, the guy who actually cut the trailer for the movie, he ended up involved in the conversation because. Costner and uh, Kurt Russell had competing cuts of the film. Oh, really? They both had the kind of went off, went right. I want the movie more action. I want more comedy or whatever it was. And this guy had apparently seen both cuts of the films in in its early stages. And that's where the the, the trailer kind of came from. So he kind of got caught up in the the sort of Twitter Twitter feed. And so it's kind of one of those films that the story around is probably more kind of entertaining to some people in the film. Um, but I, I really enjoy the film. In fact, once I, again, emailed the director to see if he, he did, he'd sort of want to talk about it, and I never heard a response. So if he ever listens to this and he decides he wants to talk about it, I'm available. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a flawed film. I think it's, you know, you can see why people don't like it. Um, you, you'd have to be in a very sort of the right mood, I think, to watch it because it's, it's comedic, but it's also very brutal at times. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what I decided to uh, slip into to number 10 on my list. Yeah. And it's, no one else is a Costner list. <laughs> no, to be fair, we've got on the honourable mentions, a couple of people have mentioned it on their uh, on their honourable mentions. So it's definitely one out there that, that fans enjoy. Right. I mean, Star Study, Courtney Cox, Christian Slater, Kevin Pollock, David Arquette, John Lovitz. Thomas Hayden Church, Ice Tea. I mean, yeah. it's, it's you know, it's full of stars. But yeah, it was. I think I've only ever watched it once, but I can remember enjoying watching it. Yeah, you know, I think it was just after. I think, I think when Costner hit that sweet spot with a run of movies that I don't think many people have ever managed to equal in you know hit after hit after hit. And I think this was one that was just like you say, not many people. I, I'm obviously now with the production issues or the distribution issues that you're talking about it sort of makes it a little bit more to understand but i really enjoyed this movie it it was in my honorable mentions as well it was probably 12 13 
if I did it in top 20, but great way to start. Um, okay, my number 10 uh, is Open Range. Now, before we... I, I, I was just compiling with my top 10 the um, video playlist we put for our Patreon supporters. So I just watched all the trailers to all my top 10. And God, it just made me realise just how great some of Kevin Costner's movies are, <laughs> especially something like Open Range. There's nothing really groundbreaking or new about the story. You know, it's it's himself, another great cast as well. Yeah. Uh, Annette that's Benny. on my list as well. So oh, it's, it's on your on your top 10, is it? It is, yes. What number is it on yours? It is number five. Wow, okay. Okay, obviously directed by Costner as well. Yeah. Um, Michael Gambon, Robert Duval, and it's just... It's a good... If you love Westerns, you're going to love that movie because it's yeah. every, it ticks every box. You know, you've got this guy who's... who's not saying he doesn't love killing, but obviously in his past he's done that kind of thing and it's got a great shootout at the end. It's just everything you want in a in a uh, a movie and in a Western as well. And I think Kevin Costner does that so well. And to have, yeah. I mean, anything with Robert Duvall in it, especially well, old Robert Duvall. Yeah. He's you just great. He's a star for Robert Duvall being in any film, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So why is it so high in your, in your list? Um, I think Costner as a director... Is great. Um, I mean, obviously, I remember seeing him at the Oscars. It must be twenty years ago, and he came out. And he said that the show's running long. I like it when things run long. You know, yes. He sort of he, he likes to take his time, and I love that in a movie. I, I yep. think so many movies can be kind of cut down or feel truncated, and you you feel you're not getting a, a full vision. And so, I think it plays so beautifully. And again, much like you said, he's kind of a violent man. But there's a beauty to kind of the first kind of two thirds of the of the film, you know, as sort of things develop. But it's just the pace of it. I mean, it, it mm. begins and it's almost poetic, you know, and it's just the guys out kind of on the prairies and doing the job, which you normally get just a snippet of in a cowboy film. But they kind of take their time and you kind of, you know, know the experience and you kind of feel what they're going through. And then, I mean, that, that final shootout is one of the greats, you know, that's. Yeah. You know, people don't talk about Costner being able to direct action, you know, as, as such. But I mean, that that's that's a brutal gunfight, and the film's not particularly violent up until that point. You know, it ju- and then it just sort of goes for it, and it really gives you that cowboy shootout that you want. You know, it, it's kind of it doesn't hold back, and you, you come away satisfied that the movie is good. But you also it ended on a really good high with that sort of climactic sequence. Yeah, I also think I equate it a little bit to Unforgiven, the, the Clint Eastwood movie, in the fact that because I think you, you go into the movie knowing that you like Kevin Costner. So you give that character, and the same with Unforgiven, I think you like Clint Eastwood. So you don't care what he did in his past. He may have been a really bad person in his past, but because you love Kevin Costner or you love Clint Eastwood, you give that character leeway. And, and in the end, with the open range, all you want is for him to find happiness. Yeah, and you kind of know that there's a there's a sliver of a chance that he's not going to get the happiness that he wants. You want him just to start a life with Annette Benning and everything is wonderful, but you know that you know, maybe he might not make it at the end. Spoilers, I don't. I'm not going to say spoilers. I don't. Well, if you watch it, you watch it. But <laughs> there's always that worry that you know he's not going to get the happy ever after that he maybe doesn't deserve. You know, morally, he maybe doesn't deserve with whatever he's done in his past, but. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. That's good that it's up higher. Yeah, I, yeah. There's just other ones that are obviously higher than mine. Uh, okay, your number nine then, please. Now, number nine is the Bodyguard. 
Okay. Um, I kind of hemmed in. I mean, when I sort of signed up to do this, I thought, oh, that'll be easy. And then I sort of started to try and rank Costner's <laughs> top 10 movies. And I realized it was much harder than I kind of thought. Yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of kind of shuffling around. And I kind of thought, yes, it's a big, glossy Hollywood movie, um, but it works. You know, I, I think it works in that. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know if you know, but the, the script was originally written for kind of Steve McQueen and Diana Ross to do in the mm. 70s. And he, at that point, you had the 90s or the late 80s equivalent of Steve McQueen and Diana Ross. I mean, even Costner's got, you know, the Steve McQueen haircut. Really? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the movie. And it's just, it's a bit melodramatic. You know, it's it's a bit smaltzy, but it delivers, you know, if, if that's what you want, and kind of a, it's kind of peak Hollywood, you know, old fashioned Hollywood that you don't get anymore. And you almost didn't even get back in sort of 1992, I think it came out. You know, it's 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 kind of it's a love story. It's a bit of a thriller. It's kind of based around kind of Hollywood and entertainment. So it, it, it kind of ties all these things together. And Costner is great kind of being the badass. Mm. And, you know, Whitney Houston is great in it as well. You know, and again, there's a lot of interesting supporting characters kind of coming in and out of it. So. I kind of thought if you're going for kind of that sort of movie within Costner's kind of range, I thought, yeah, that that was the sort of, I feel I had to kind of put that in at number nine. Mm. It didn't make my top 10. I have to say it was one of those ones that it, it definitely started on my first list. And as I compiled my top 10, it kept dropping down, dropping down, dropping down. Um, I, I think, like you say, I thought Whitney Houston was fantastic in it. I don't think anybody really expected her to be that good. No. Um, uh, I just, I was just looking. I didn't. Re- I, f- I completely forgot that Gary Kemp was in it. Yes. He kept played, played a complete asshole in it, didn't he? He was like yeah. the asshole. Like, what was he? A producer or the agent or something? He the he... record or a, yeah, a manager or something. He was a complete dick when he was yeah. <laughs> a real smokes. He's like guy, but but Kevin Costner in this one was like he's the guy that you just want. He was the bodyguard, somebody that's going to protect you. So, and there wasn't really much acting, was it? It was very stony faced, just yeah. like a bodyguard should be. But, but yeah, it's, it's a it's a great movie, great soundtrack as well. But uh, yeah, didn't make my top ten. My number nine, um, going into the sports movies, which is one thing that Kevin Costner was a is a genius at, and it's Tin Cup. Yes. So I I don't know, I because again. There's something about the movie that is like there's there's it's just a formulate movie. It's an underdog story, but there's so much charm in that movie. And Kevin Costner's never been more sort of like James Stewart, that kind of. Do you know what I mean? The Cary Grant kind of. Um, he starts off a bit schlubby. He's a, he's a schlubby loser, um, just play a, a driving range pro, uh, and gets a chance, almost like a Rocky style chance to play in the open. Um, is it the Open or the Mass? Yes, yeah, the Open, the US Open, isn't it? I think. It's the Open, yeah. Yeah, and then balls it up right at the end, but yeah. wins the love and and wins the respect and stuff. And I just love this movie. And I've said this before on other on other podcasts we've done. The way Kevin Costner eats a sausage is just <laughs> there's something about that man eating a sausage. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's it's very very cool. It's very very funny in places. Uh, Rene Russo is fantastic. Don Johnson is really really good. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's he's. I mean, he's like the flip side to Costner. He's kind of Costner with an edge. I mean, he was actually I think originally in the running to play Elliot Ness in the Untouchables. Oh really? Um, 
And I think the department didn't cast him because it was almost too close to Miami Vice, you know, so right. the same kind of character and he wanted somebody sort of slightly different. But they're, they're kind of two sides, the same coin, yeah. Costner and Johnson in that, you know. Yes. You know, and they even look, I mean, they could play brothers in a film, you know, that they've got a, a similar look. So, I mean, and, and Cheech Marin's in there as well. That's right. the sidekick. Yeah. You know, he's brilliant. So, yeah, it's another great movie. It didn't make my top 10. And again, it was so difficult. You know, you kind of had to kill your darlings on this one. And so they go, oh. Absolutely. The one bit in it is when, I can't remember exactly, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but it summed up, this, like you said, the two characters, were, whereas uh, Roy McAvoy, I think, was um, Kevin Costner's character, would always go for it. Even if it meant that he would take 13 on the last hole and ruin his chances of winning the Open, whereas Don Johnson said, you know, pars, I'll take 18 of them. So he's quite happy to have par, par, yeah. par, and not go for it, play it safe every time. And like you say, they're the they're, they're the antithesis of each other, but they're the, they're the they're two sides of the same coin, yeah. like, like you said. Um, okay, then, Niall, you're number eight, then, please. Number eight is No Way Out. Okay. I can't believe you've gone three so far, and I haven't got any of them in my top ten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of films, and they're kind of, you know, they're all very different, you know, different kind of, you know, tones and moods. Um, but No Way Out, I think it's just a great thriller. It is. Um, you know, again, this would have been my number 11. I'll give you that. This would have been my number 11. Yeah, that day. It's a little bit dated now. I think kind of, uh, I think the music and the score is a bit sort of synthy. Uh, I, I remember from the last time I watched it, I mean, the cast is great. I mean, Gene Hackman, uh, Sean Young, uh, Will Patton, who I, yeah. I think is a, a great kind of supporting character. And Costner's kind of, I mean, you, you can see why he became a sex symbol kind of off the back of sort of, you know, those random movies because, again, he's a, he's a, a naval officer. He's in the white kind of naval uniform. And so you, you've got that. So it's And, again, it's a thriller. It's it's romantic. I mean, and the, the sort of countdown at the end, I think it's a remake of a film called The Ticking Clock, from what I remember, and really is there's sort of a ticking clock countdown to the end. And I won't give it away, but there's, there's a tiny twist at the, the, the end of the tale as well, um, which doesn't quite work when you watch it over again. But the mechanics of how it's all put together, yes, I think it's kind of it's just a really well-made thriller, and all the elements sort of slot in nicely. And it's directed by Roger Donaldson, who I think is a really, really kind of underappreciated director who's sort of done a couple of Costner films. But I think Gene Hackman's great, sort of playing the, the villain of the piece. Uh, like I said, Will Patton, he's got a really kind of interesting part that feeds into Costner's character and the Gene Hackman role, which sort of works, which is not, a really good dynamic that you kind of don't see coming. So I, I think it's, it's as a thriller and as an 80s thriller, it's probably one of the best, I think, thrillers of the 1980s, you know, mm. like just because all the elements work so well. And he's kind of... I mean, that, that was released the same year, I think, as The Untouchables. Kind of, you, so you can imagine any actor, those two movies coming out in the same year. That's a pretty, uh, it's just kind of two sides doing sort of the, the kind of the stoic guy, but also kind of the, the romantic lead as well, which he doesn't sort of, so, the, so that kind of made my kind of number eight spot. Yeah. It's like you say about it being, I think maybe it's out of time a little bit because how, how long it takes for that photo at the end to download, yes. <laughs> you think... <laughs> You watched it. I mean, I haven't watched that movie for a long, long time, but I, I, I loved it at the time that it came out. And it's like I thought about it when you said that, and I thought, my God! I mean, if you were waiting around for a photo to d- download that long now, you'd be on it, on it, your 
uh, internet provider, wouldn't you? Because well, yeah. that is ridiculous. It was literally like one line every five minutes, and the whole countdown was seeing what was on this photo. Yeah. But the weird thing was, I mean, I don't think we oh, we shouldn't spoil it in case we have some Kevin Costner fans that want to go back to his back catalogue. I'll leave it for you, everybody, to go and see the film because it is yeah. it is a nail biting film. It really is great. Gene Hackman, like Robert Duvall. He's going to give you an extra, as Kevin, uh, as Mark Kermode called, he's a 27 percenter. He always makes a movie 27 yeah. percent better just being in it. And I love Gene Hackman. I love pretty much everything I've ever seen Gene Hackman in. It's, he's a fantastic, that's a top 10 we should do. Top yeah, 10 Gene Hackman yeah. films. That wouldn't be easy though. That, would that, that wouldn't. We'll have you back for that one. No, we'll have you. <laughs> if we thought Kevin Costner one was hard, <laughs> Gene Hackman one yeah. would be like nigh on impossible, I think. Um, okay, my number eight, we're back to uh, Westerns again, and it's Silverado. Ooh, I've, that didn't make my list, so... It didn't make your list, no. okay. I mean, just just the cast in yeah. Silverado. Scott Glenn, Kevin Klein, Kevin Costner, a young Jeff Goldblum, Brian Dennehy, who's another one of those powerhouse of actors. He just looks like an absolute thug. John Cleese... Um, who else we've got? Uh, Danny Glover, uh, directed by Lawrence Kasdan. It is a great... And Kevin Costner, it's quite a young Kevin Costner in it, but he's the, he's the guy that is like the the wise-cracking young dude that loves, you know, he loves the romance of being a cowboy and the guns, and he's a great gunslinger with two guns. It's loads of fun. It is a fantastic movie. And it is, I mean, like I say, John Cleese, not putting an accent on. He's still just for some reason an Englishman who's a sheriff of this yeah. <laughs> Western Western American town. Play, it, play it reasonably straight as well. I mean Reasonably, yeah. You know, he could have gone full top John Cleese, but he kind of reins it in, no pun intended. You know, <laughs> I would love to have seen him be like complete like uh, Basil Faulty running down <laughs> the street and doing like the silly walks and stuff. But yeah, I I Anybody that hasn't seen it, like I say, it's it's an early Costner movie, and he's not the star of it. It's an ensemble movie, but go and watch it because it is fantastic fun. Yeah. It is so much fun, and he's so youthful and energetic in it, which he kind of never was again. I think maybe a bit in Wyatt Earp at the the opening, where he's sort of playing, yeah, know, like fifteen or something. But you you never really kind of see him with that boyish kind of energy and anything that he's he kind of did since then. So it was kind of a you know a one off. But yeah. I mean, it was a star-making turn for him. I agree. I agree. I think sort of after that, it was more, he was concentrating more on romantic leads. Yeah. So he's not acting, you know, sort of like a kid or, you know, like an excited teenager or whatever. But thoroughly recommend it if anybody hasn't seen that one. Uh, Niall, you're number seven then, please. Number seven, uh, For Love of the Game. Okay. I don't believe that's another one. <laughs> I haven't got that one. Okay. And um, I haven't seen this one movie, so, so, so tell me all about it. He's kind of an aging baseball player looking back over his career. And uh, Kelly Preston plays an, an old girlfriend and is kind of looking back on his relationship with her, his relationship with the game, and kind of how he sacrificed his relationship with her for the game. It's directed by Sam Raimi. Um, I think it came out in 1999. Well done, it was. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I saw it at the cinema. I was sort of... I think it came out kind of here, 2000 maybe. Um, but it's a Sam Raimi film. It's sacrilege. It's probably my favourite Sam Raimi film. Um, okay. Because it's the most un-Sam Raimi-like Sam Raimi film you'll see. Um, it's got a fantastic score by uh, 
Basil Pol- Polidorus, kind of this really rousing score. Um, I think the, the, the relationship between him and Kelly Preston is really well done. The, the relationship between him and his fellow baseball players, that's really well done. In fact, that the movie could do with more of that. In fact, I, I think one of the longer cuts of the movie, which is, is kind of what you alluded to in the opening kind of your, your Costner facts, I think Costner wanted more relationship with his fellow ball players, um, kind of smattered throughout, which obviously would have made the film longer and, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, it's a Costner style, but it's really well done. And one of the, the the highlight, I think, for me is it shows you him kind of coming out to kind of pitch on the on the field, and you kind of you, you see him walk out, and everyone's sort of roaring and screaming, and all the fans, and he kind of I think he says sort of something like turn the mechanism, and the sign he blocks the sound out, so it's just him and his opponent sort of, you know, so it's, it's so well done in that sort of sequence. So it's, and it's a great performance by Costner. It, the, the movie looks beautiful. You know, it's, it's a big, must've been like a $50 million movie back then, just as a drama. Mm. Um, like I said, the score is great. The production design is glorious. And I think it's just a really heartfelt film. And again, it came out, and I don't think it did particularly well in America. And obviously baseball films don't really travel. No. So I'm amazed it actually got a cinematic release here in the UK, you know, I probably played for one weekend and I was lucky enough to kind of get there. But it's kind of Costner being in his most sort of leading man, kind of romantic drama sports movie. So I, I think if you love kind of your your Bull Durham's or your Field of Dreams, it, it's, it's definitely a movie. If you haven't seen, I highly recommend watching it because it's very unexpected and it's probably aged incredibly well simply because of times probably being kinder to it than the press were when it, it probably came out kind of 25 right. years ago. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to have to watch it because uh, I didn't realise it was a Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, I didn't realise that. So I think considering, well, Bull Durham and Field of Dreams are in my top five of Kevin Costner movies, I feel <laughs> I, I should I should give this one a go. So you've, you've sold me on that without a doubt. Um, okay, my number seven uh, might be a bit of a surprise that it's this low, but it's Dances with Wolves. Um, is it in your top ten? It is, yes. What? Okay, right. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that look before on other episodes. Um, I shall just talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll move on. Maybe. Um, this was right, right in the sweet spot of like the the, the full on love of Kevin Costner that I was. I was devouring anything that was Kevin Costner. I think there was a director. DVD one called The Gun Runner. I don't know if you can remember that. Yeah. And this was like a, and I can remember like when I was buying all everything, anything that Kevin Costner was in, and I saw it was in, I don't know where it was, Woolworths for Fiverr, and I thought, oh, I'll have that. Never watched it, but I thought it was good because I was a completist. I wanted all of Kevin Costner movies on DVD. This one was obviously the one he won Oscars for. He directed, um, I always equate this one with Braveheart for some reason because it was like Mel Gibson won Oscars for Braveheart and Dances with Wolves. And it's just, it's an epic in every true sense of the term. Um, Beautifully acted, beautifully shot, a a great story. Uh, There isn't really anything else more you can say about it. It's a a masterpiece. It's an app, every frame, um, especially out in... In, in, in you know on the pre- what would you call it out on the frontier if you want yeah. it's just beautiful absolutely beautiful and um and kevin costner never been better in that and how he the same as mel gibson how they 
take on the pressure of directing a movie as well as starring in it and also knocking it completely out of the park to use another baseball yeah. term is is spellbinding absolutely amazing so That's that a, I, I don't, yeah i don't think he would have had braveheart um, and i don't think mel gibson might not have had the balls to actually make braveheart if costner hadn't have gone I off think- and and made dance of the walls. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, okay, should we move on to number six, Niles? Yes. <laughs> Probably another controversial choice. The Postman. Wow. Okay. Right, now uh, we, we... Hang on, we did say these are the top ten Kevin Costner movies, not the ten t- top ten worst to Kevin Costner <laughs> movies. Just the so Postman you... gets a bad rap, and it's unfair, I think... It's, I will admit there's possibly 15 seconds at the very end of the film that let it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and how long's the movie? Um, probably like three days long. Um, yeah, I think it is, yeah. But there's the kind of a shot where it's kind of him, I think, grabbing a letter off like a young boy and then they kind of cut to 10 years later, 20 years later, and there's a statue of the very same kind of thing and it's a dedication to the postman. Um, so apart from that, I think it's got everything that Dances with Wolves has. Is it as successful as that? I don't mean financial. I just mean as, as a film. No, but it's kind of got a, it's a Western, kind of futuristic Western. Um, again, it's got a great supporting cast, Will Patton again. Um, Will Patton, yeah. You know, um, and uh, Joe Santos from the, the Rockford Files, who played Becker, the, the, the cop. He plays kind of his right-hand man who's lost his tongue. Um, so it's a post-apocalyptic world where Costner sort of finds a, a postman's outfit and a bag of mail and then decides to uh, kind of hand out the post as a way of ingratiating himself into kind of settlements. And then as things go on, he kind of takes up the mantle himself and, and ends up kind of becoming a a, a leader, a leader of, the, of these people. Um, and again, yes, it's, there's a bit of smolts in it, um, but I think... I think it's epic. I think it's a Western. Um, I think it came after Wyatt Earp kind of a tanked at the box office. Mm. I had a few movies and, and obviously it was a pricey movie. And I think the, the, at that point, the press decided to really give him a kick in. And, you know, I think he got away with it with, with Waterworld um, because it made its money back. And I think this was a time where they just thought, do you know what? We're going to say it's bad, but all the elements are there that are in, Dances with Wolves, you know, um, it's romantic, it's kind of epic, again, plenty of horses, and it, it reminds me a bit sometimes of, of the um, Charlton Heston movie called Will Penny, there's kind of elements of that sort of, I think, sort of woven into it, so I think people kind of go, oh, The Postman, and it's a long film, but that's the really only criticism you can really kind of say, could it have been better, two hours, 15 minutes, possibly, but I think it's I think it's great. He's great. And it just came out at a time where the, the press wanted to kind of have a go at him, you know, where, where they, they, you know, they tried it with Dances with Wolves. They tried it with, you know, probably the bodyguard when Whitney Houston was cast. And mm. I think they thought, all right, this is a time. We'll, we'll see if the mud sticks this time when we have a go at him. And I, th- I think that the movie's so much better than I think anyone remembers or the people who haven't seen it. Well, probably, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. 
I think it was famous as well for like cleaning up at the Razzies as well, wasn't it? It was one of those yeah. movies that, and, and then, and that always leaves a bit of a stink on a movie, even though then, I mean, they're meaningless, the Razzies, aren't they? It's, but I think, yeah, I mean, look, I will look, totally admit I've probably watched half an hour of the movie. I probably haven't watched all of it. So I haven't given it a chance. And I, I think, yeah, maybe I should. And it's also Tom Petty pops up in it as well in a sort of a, a cameo. Oh, really? So yeah, so that he's got a little part sort of in it, and yeah, there's there's elements of like I said, Dance of Bulls, Waterworld, obviously being post-apocalyptic. So there's there's good stuff in there. Yes, it's long, you know, but these days you can pause it and come back after you've had a cup of tea and a yeah. whatever you want. You know. <laughs> okay, that's another one to add to the list. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's okay. Uh, my number six, um, JFK. Uh, for me, I'm a massive JFK conspiracy fan. Okay, so I've I've I don't read many books. My co-host Neil will tell you. I I normally only read books if they got pictures in them. I don't tend to read books as a as a rule. But the amount of books that I devoured or have devoured over the years in regards to everything to do with the JFK uh, assassination. And the trouble is with this movie, I mean I think it's a great movie. I really do. I think Oliver Stone is a great director. The trouble is is because it's Kevin Costner you think, well, I like Kevin Costner, so I'm going to side with this version of events. When you actually delve into it, you realise that Oliver Stone, maybe some of it is, he's playing with the truth a little bit. You know, some of it is, he's, he's, he's playing fast and loose with some of the facts or melding two or three characters into one character, which I think is a little bit of a cop-out. Um, 
but as an as a thriller of a movie, it's fantastic. It, don't ever use it as a historical document, but as a thriller of a movie, it's and Kevin Costner again has never been any better. I, I think in this movie. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. In fact, it's my number two. Oh, okay, number two. So, um, and I, I don't know if you've seen the director's cut of JFK. I think so. Yeah, I think I had that on on Blu-ray. I think, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's just more. You know, it's kind of, and again, it, it historically there's a lot of sort of playing with the truth, but yes, it makes a fantastic film. I mean, just the the energy in it. I mean, it's a long film as well. Um, but it just goes at a clip, you know, you, you just, the performance and the cast, yep. you know, you kind of look at the, the cast, you know, you've even got going back to Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. And, I know. It's you fantastic. Know, yeah. You know, Ed Asner. Yeah. You know, yeah. Joe Pesci, who's brilliant in it. You yeah. know, there's, there's that scene where he's, he's sort of, the, the, he's spilling the beans and there's two pegs. That's right. Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Oldman. Yeah. It's yeah, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's I think phenomenal, and, and the the film te- filmmaking techniques that Oliver Stone used thirty years ago, you know, would, would still feel very kind of cutting edge now. And, you yes. Know, and the John Williams score, you know, that that's great. Um. Yeah, like you said, uh, historically, it's not one hundred percent accurate. But what Oliver Stone has managed to do and just pull these threads and go. I'm taking all this stuff. Um, I'm going to weave it in. So I'm telling you anyway. Yes. You know, and it's probably you know obviously um, you know he's just trying to get everything at you. And it's like somebody telling a story. Like I'm talking now. You're, you're going one way and you're, you're backtracking and you're, you know the the unreliable narrator sort of scenario. But he's just going right. Here's all this shit and I'm giving it to you. You know, yeah. and it's coming from every angle. You know. Donald Sutherland, there's another performance in it where, where there's that scene on the park bench. That's right. Which is, is phenomenal. Mm. You know, so, yeah, I think stunning. And again, it, not only is it my second favourite Costner movie, it's one of my favourite films of all time. So oh, right. It's kind of right up there for me. I think that because it's funny you say about taking those different threads. The way I was looking at it is that there are certain points in that movie that make perfect sense in regards to the whole conspiracy and then there are certain bits in in books that I've read that I think, yeah, that's a good point, but that doesn't make any sense. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Where would you, where do you stand on the whole JFK? Is it something that the assassination is something that interests you, or is it just the movie that interests you? No, I mean, there, I, I kind of watched. I probably am not as well schooled as you, but I've watched plenty of documentaries about it and the the cons. And again, I mean, I remember when this film came out. It was the thirtieth anniversary of the the assassination, and the TV was just awash with yes. documentaries, conspiracy right. theory, yeah. you know, and I remember sitting with my dad watching it, you know, and I'd kind of, and again, every so often a, a documentary will come on, I'll be right, I'll watch that and kind of build on. I think, I don't think things went down the way that it, it, history says they did, you know, because, I mean, even if you watch JFK or you watch the documentaries or you, you kind of read articles, there was something that went on that didn't quite fit, you know, and I think, yeah, it wasn't a, a lone gunman from a, a book depository in a corner with a old action rifle. Yeah. I've always said that uh, the whys and wherefores is something that, that I'm not a hundred percent interested in. It's the mechanics of the actual day, the actual shooting 
and just, I mean, we're not going to turn into an uh, assassination podcast, but it's always the one thing that's always got me with it is if you are up in that, the sixth floor, I think it was of the Texas school book depository, why you wouldn't shoot the president when the car is coming straight towards you. And then if they, if they miss and they go off at a speed, you've still got another chance to shoot. Why wait until he crosses, turns around the corner and then yeah. have a go? It makes no sense. Triangulation of crossfire, as they say in the yeah. movie. Yeah. And then the pristine bullet finds, you know, that, exactly. that doesn't quite work. And Come on, now let's, let's reopen the case. Come on, me and you, we can crack it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Come on. Um, okay, so that was my number six. Your number five was Open Range, which we've already yes. spoken about. So my number five is the wonderful Waterworld. This is one of those... It didn't make my top ten. It didn't. It didn't that make your top a, ten. That, that was a toss-up between that and The Bodyguard. So it was kind Right, of- right. I can t- totally see... Look, I think... It, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand at the time when the movie came out where all the hate came from, where all the vitriol came from. For me, it is just a fantastic like superhero, like just romp of a movie. Yeah. Dennis Hopper is just chewing the scenery up in like or sort of Alan Rickman style as the baddie. I mean, there's there's certain little bits of special effects that don't look fantastic, but this is at the the dawn of those kind of special effects. I watched the trailer and it reminded me most of it is in camera. Most of it is yeah. is stunts with real people on real sets doing the real stuff. And it's just, a, I think it's a fantastic movie that is so much fun. And Kevin Costner as that sort of the man with no name kind of silent assassin that's going to go and just uh, save the person that he, well, maybe he loves, but save his friend from the evil that is around I just love it. And I think it's a great film. I don't know what you think. I mean, obviously it's not in your top 10, but it was, it was close to being there. Yeah. I mean, I think you could do top 20 costume, you know, yeah, yeah, easily. I think it's great. I think it's a very sort of swashbuckler is, you know, there's, there's kind of the, the the bit where the kids being sort of kidnapped by uh, Dennis Hopper. And she goes, you don't know who he is. And she sort of, I think it's actually used in the trailer potentially. And it's, you know, he, he's mean, he's tough. And sort of intercuts with him sort of boarding the ship that's and right. kind of dispatching all these guys. And I mean, that's just great filmmaking, you know, that's sort of building up who the character is. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it's great. Like you said, it's all done practically. You know, you've got all those jet skis and explosions and, you know, yes, you've got that dodgy wheel thing that, you know, which, you know, but apart from that, the effects look great. I mean, it's mid nineties. Yeah. So that was probably outside of Jurassic Park, one of the first big CGI monsters would probably was was used because uh, I think that came out the year before the Dragonheart with Sean Connery voicing. That's them. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. they hadn't really done a lot with, especially in broad daylight. Mm. Um, I think it's a great adventure. Um, and again, it happened to make money, and there's obviously. You know, if Heaven's Gate, everyone was calling that, you know, Kevin's Gate. That's right, and yeah. Roles, and then this was Fish Tar. And, you know, <laughs> and they just wanted them, you know, because Costner, I mean, his his rise to success was so fast. And what he managed to achieve with, you know, a, a run of movies that had JFK, the bodyguard, you know, all those things in it. So they were just looking for it. And um, White Earp had sort of underperformed kind of the year before. So... 
I think it's a great movie. It's pure entertainment. In fact, a couple of years ago, I, I sat down to watch um, Aquaman. And right. I, I got 10 minutes into Aquaman and I thought, do you know what? I want to watch a, an aquatic action adventure movie. I'm going to stick on Waterworld. So I took <laughs> and, you know, the effects, it's all done practically. Costner's character, like you said, the man with no name, he's a bit of a curmudgeon, you know. He kind of he's not sympathetic, which a lot of a lot of actors in a big summer blockbuster would have won. Let's make him more sympathetic. Yeah, Just more lines, more one-liners. Yeah, Parker doesn't do it. It's, it's sort of very egoless, you know. Even to the fact that at that point, sort of his receding hairline, that's he's wet, and you know, he kind of he obviously just doesn't give a shit. He just wants to make the movie, depending on you know whatever. And I, I, there were rumors of him getting additional gills CGI'd out again with because. Test audiences thought it was a bit icky or whatever it was, but I think it's a great. I think it's, for a summer blockbuster, I think it it holds up well. Mm. And again, I, I feel like I'm a, some sort of salesman for RO DVD and film, but they released a fantastic package a couple of years ago, which I think has got three different cuts of it. So there's the theatrical cut, there's a special edition, and then I think one called the Ulysses cut, which is sort of a bunch of other stuff amalgamated. Oh, right. You know, sort of cut back in. So there's quite a lot of... So if, if you can get your hands on that, I highly recommend it to anyone listening. So it's, it's definitely worth a, a watch. And again... Any, yeah, because anybody that's just that, that's not a Kevin Costner fan, you mentioned Waterworld to them, and the first thing they will go, oh, that's a little shite. I, yeah. said, I said, have you ever seen it? No, no. I said, you got to just watch it, because it is just... It's just 90s fun. It's just so much fun. And the fact that everything looks real as well is the thing that I think that that sets movies from like today apart. Now, anything that you can imagine, you can do in a movie now if you've got the budget, basically. Back in those days, I mean, that was one of the, I think it was one of the highest um, budgeted movies, I think, of its time, wasn't it? It was the first film to be given the green light. And no, no, in fact, it wasn't. Universal Pictures didn't want to give the film the green light at a budget of $100 million. Right. Or 120 I think it was going to be the budget, because that they, they didn't want to be the studio that got the rap for doing it. So they under-budgeted the film, knowing that it was going to go over budget. Yeah. Then when it went over budget, the press kind of went, this movie's a disaster. And it's like, well, they knew it was going to cost it, but they didn't want the bad press of going, we're sinking $120 million into to what this film is going to be. Yeah. And what would 120 million get you these days? I mean... It would get you The Rock three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's probably what you'd get. Yeah, I heard today on a podcast that um, the Indiana Jones movie is budgeted at $300 million. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of that is going into Harrison Ford's pocket, but, um, I mean... Or well, the majority of it is going on the uh, de-aging of Harrison yeah. Ford. That's probably 150 million of it because they've got to do a lot of it, I suppose. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, but again, why do you have to do it? Just write a contemporary story. Don't set it in 1945 when he was 45, you know. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's unnecessary. It's just a gimmick, you know. I hope it's good, though. I do, because after the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you kind of... I mean, which, which was good in places, Yeah, but I kind of... As, well, they keep saying this is it. This is the last Harrison Ford one, and and it won't get recast. And you just hope, just please let him go out with a bit of dignity yeah. and just a good swashbuckling movie. You know, 
But there seems to be a lot of CGI in the trailers. You there know, does seem to be. That's what worries, worries yeah, me, yeah. There's that whole New York chase sequence on the horse, which just... And I, I, I think I tweeted something about it when the first trailer dropped and somebody went, it's actually the compression of YouTube makes it look even more fake. Right. It still looks a bit too much of everything. You know, it's kind of too bright, too this, too that. So. Yeah, yeah. And Filmed in Glasgow, that was, I think. That, yeah. That scene. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's hope it's good. We'll, yeah, it's we'll see. yeah, we'll see how that goes. So that was my number five. So now we're on to your number four then, please. Number four, Field of Dreams. That's my number two. Um, and again, I, ha- I originally had it at three and I kind of moved it around a bit. Um, I think, I mean, it's brilliant. And like I said, I saw it when I was about nine years old. And it was stunning. And I mean, the more the older you get, as you watch it, it becomes even more emotional. Mm. You know, and I mean, it's just flawless. You know, the soundtrack's great. Um, the Costner's great in it, playing the Everyman. You know, you're uh, the, the James Earl Jones. The concept, you know, the whole thing about kind of hearing the voice going out on a whim and doing something. Um, yeah, it's just it's brilliant. I mean, it's it's flawless and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was in, when we did our um, uh, our Christmas special with um, Helen O'Hara from Empire Magazine, and we did our top 10 greatest movies of all time, that Field of Dreams was in my top 10, which doesn't make any sense that this is my number two Kevin Costner movie. No. I, will, I, will, I will explain no, it's why it's not my number one when we get to number one. Um, but I have spoken about this movie. It was in my greatest sports movies of all time. I think it might have been number one in my greatest sports movies of all time. But it's got everything. And yeah. apart from the fact that you've got Kevin Costner's hair, which looks amazing, is yes. just fantastic. You can't, you can't not cry at the end. I think yeah. just at the end with... Dad want to have a catch is just one of those lines that just if you don't have a lump in your throat, then check your pulse because I think you might be you might not be living. Um, it's just like you said, it's a perfect, perfect movie. And I think it's one of those movies that if it had been made 40, 50 years before, James Stewart would have been, you know, Jimmy Stewart yeah. would have been the, the, the star of it. And it's just... I've, I've spoken about it so many times on this podcast, I'm not going to bore anyone again because I keep saying the same things, but it is just a perfect movie. It, 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 I mean, Burt Lancaster, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, which I think it was his final role. Um, I think it was, yeah. You know, and he's brilliant in it. And I mean, that whole sequence with him, mm. kind of, I mean, it's all kind of magical and magical realism or magic, you know, magicalism, what are you yeah, yeah. look at it? But it's, you know, and even the end, and... I mean, that film could have been so bad if it hadn't been made by, you know, people who understood the material. I've actually got the book behind me somewhere because in the book there... Yeah, I got the book somewhere. The original book. Shoeless yeah, Joe. He's, he's Salinger. Yeah, the, um, the James Earl Jones character, he's J.D. Salinger. And Salinger went, I let you away with it in the book, but I'll sue if you, if you call him Salinger in the movie. You know... Right. You know, so yeah, it's just it's just brilliant, you know, and the, the casting of it, you know, the, the whole thing and the way it plays out, it doesn't outstay its welcome. You you kind of think it, you know, as it becomes a bit of a road movie, 
it becomes a family drama. You know, it's you know, you, you've got the kind of the, the shitty brother-in-law who wants to sort of take the yeah. land. He's the bad guy, yeah. Yeah, you've got all these elements which could have been very soap opera or very kind of one note, and they just all work to kind of make a film which is magical, you know, and, yeah. and sort of works on every single level. Yeah, and it's also one of those things. If if someone hasn't seen it and they say, "Well, tell me what it's about," you say, "Well, it's about this farmer that digs up his field and a load of dead baseball players come out." People go, "Well, that sounds like shit. Why am I going to watch that? It's crap." Yeah. You know, same as trying to explain someone Swiss Army Man. You say, "Well, Harry Potter's a farting corpse." Oh well, I, I don't want to watch that. So you know, you just it's yeah. it's it's all in just watch it. It's a fantastic magical movie. Uh, so that's your number four. My number four. Uh, back to the baseball movies. It's Bull Durham. For Didn't me. make the cut for me. I kind of I wow. Two, two baseball movies. I kind of thought, oh. So no, I kind of had it. I think it's another one. Of those, it's not, sort of an ensemble movie. But Kevin Costner is the. I mean, I don't know how old he was at the time, but he's the washed-up veteran. They yeah. get traded down to uh, the minor leagues to look after. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, that's right. Yeah, Susan Sarandon looks as, just absolutely gorgeous in it. And it is funny. It's a bit bittersweet. Um, but Kevin Costner just looks cool. I mean, I've never seen yeah. anyone wear like a shiny green jacket and look as cool as that. No, because they you were know. never even cool when he wore them. So. Yes. <laughs> they were now in the 80s, you know. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, and again, I've spoken so many times about this film on previous podcasts. I'll keep it short. I just, I do, I just... And I haven't seen it for a while and I need to watch it again because I just, it's one of those movies. I think it's timeless. It doesn't, yeah. I think it was Nate's movie. I think it was one of his 80s movies. I think, I think somewhere like that. Yeah, so I think it came out the year before uh, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, watch it. You don't have to be a baseball fan to, to enjoy the movie. It's a movie about love and it's a movie about finding your place in the world and maybe aging out of a certain part of your life and moving into another part of your life i i think it's a fantastic film so yeah but it's like all cost sports films i don't like baseball i don't like golf i don't like you know i don't know how to play them you know so but i can enjoy all those movies you know yeah. because yes that's part of it but that's not what the film's about it's just no. you know, that's just the world in which it's set it's like saying you've got to understand or like stockbroking to enjoy wall street you yes know? exactly you know, it's kind of the world is you know and again another film he did which draft day you know which is about the the kind of the, the american football draft you know that, that actually is sort of about football but again i've never seen that it's one of the ones i've yeah. never seen i must admit um okay so that was my number four so now you're number three then please three is the untouchables that's my number three there we go there you go <laughs> we finally matched up at some point well, yeah i thought we would i mean i didn't really i didn't think it would take us to number three but it got really, there you go far away then why why number three? Oh, it's brilliant i mean you forget how good it is until you watch it again and you go this is just brilliant from start to finish you've got the the ennio morricone score which is one of his best, I think, you know, just the production design again, the the tailoring, which is then done by Giorgio Armani, um, kind of Costner being in his most kind of upstanding and kind of moralistic 
Sean Connery, who's absolutely brilliant, playing the Irish cop with a Scottish accent. <laughs> uh, De Niro, you know, sort of chewing the scenery. Uh, Andy Garcia, um, you know, Billy Drago as the uh, the sidekick henchman who's just yeah. so slimy. Uh, Charlie Martin Smith is a little accounting guy. You know, so that the cast's brilliant. It's a fantastic ensemble. And again, Costner kind of plays it very kind of subtly and lets everyone else have their moment. And I think that's one of the things why Costner is actually such a good actor. There seems to be not a lot of ego. He cares more about the film than mm. his sort of being the, the centre of attention. And that, yes, he's Elliot Ness, but you could say Connery's the star of the movie. You know, he literally walks away with the movie, Connery. But just everything about it, the the sequences, you've got the Odessa step sequence in the, the train station, which is just phenomenally well done. You know, that whole chase of the, in the courthouse, yeah. kind of towards the end. The opening with a little kid in the bomb, you know, in the briefcase, just all this, you know, the, the bit where they go to, to, to raid the, the, the liquor and it turns out the big giant cocktail umbrella thing, you know, just great scenes that all, and the dialogue, you know, yeah. it's so good. And, so yeah, what 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 is it about you that likes it? Uh, it's a perfectly crafted movie. That's the thing for me. It's it's one of those movies, like you say, right from the very very first scene. Um, I think it's one of Brian De Palma's best. I have to say, I don't. It's it's hard to put my finger on one thing that makes it that kind of movie that I could just. It's one of those movies that if it's on TV or if I'm flicking through the movie channels and it's on, I will stop and watch it from wherever it is to the end. There are there are some funny moments in there as well, but it's vicious, you know? I mean, Al Capone, Robert De Niro playing Al Capone, and I think, he, well, I don't know how much weight you put on, but you put on a hell of a lot of weight to play Al Capone. I think, now if I, I can't remember if I read it right at the time, didn't, didn't they get the tailor to make his silk underwear, and it was the same guy that did Al Capone's silk yeah. underwear. So he was being really method about it. But it's like I say, it's it's vicious, it's gory, it's it's got everything you want in a movie, a proper adult movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not a thing for, to, for kids to watch. It's just balls out. Action. The action is fantastic. That, like I say, that one scene in the train station. If the, I think if there's ever a uh, an educational piece on how to edit a scene. Yeah, that that is going to just um, ramp up the pressure to use slow motion in certain parts of it. It's just, it's just yeah. a masterclass. Yeah, I mean, and it's the Palma kind of using all his techniques that he kind of uses in sort of different. But he's got the budget, you know, he's got the A list budget, which I yeah. think is probably mission impossible, the biggest budget that he had, and you can just see the Palma go for it and go, I'm making a classy movie and I'm using all my little Hitchcock bits that I want to use. You know, and I think, isn't it Carlito's way? It ends with a chase in a train station as well, which is probably very similar to the end of The Untouchables. You know, yeah, yeah. you realise that he, he's probably done peak to Palma, you know, and kind of that stuff. But I mean, the editing in that, you know, like you said, if you want to know how to build tension in the space of three minutes, Mm. watch that you know and the cutting and the editing and the 
you know, the, the, the Navy guys coming in, the mother, the, the kid. Yeah, with the push chair. And, yeah. And then it finishes with such a great, like, button with Andy Garcia holding onto the push chair with his gun just, you know, just yeah. like ice, you know. And he's like, you got him? Yeah, I got him. Take him. And it's just going, yeah. it's just... This 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 shocking sound of the gunshot and that is fantastic. I think you're right as well. I think the one thing with Kevin Costner, he's very generous as an actor because that is yeah. an ensemble movie, and you can imagine other actors that would be well. No, I'm I'm the star, so yeah. let's I know uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah let everybody else be around me. But he's very generous in in the fact that I don't even think he was first on the. I used to have the poster for it, and I'm sure it was Sean Connery then Kevin Costner. Understandably, Kevin Cost, uh, Sean Connery won the Oscar, didn't he? For um, yeah, and that was sort of the, the start of kind of a comeback for Connery. You know, yeah, he sort of had a kind of wilderness years, and obviously did the eighties. He, he did Outland in kind of eighty one or whatever it was, and then he did kind of he, he sort of segged back into leading man. That's right. Roles and in kind of big budget movies, which he kind of shunned for a good part of sort of fifteen years. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But I mean, he's brilliant in it, you know. But, he steals the movie, you know. I and completely movie, agree. Many great performances. Completely agree. Uh, okay, so that was both of our number threes. Um, your number two was JFK, which you've spoken about. Yes. My number two was Field of Dreams. So before we announce our number ones, Niall, do you want to give us your countdown from 10 to 2, and then I'll do the same? Yes, we had uh, number 10, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. And uh, number nine, The Bodyguard. Number eight, No Way Out. Number seven, For the Love of the Game. Number six, The Postman. Number five, Open Range. Number four, Field of Dreams. Number three, The Untouchables. And number two, JFK. Wonderful. Mine was number 10, Open Range. Number nine, Tin Cup. Eight, Silverado. Seven, Dances with Wolves. Six, JFK. Five, Waterworld. Four, Bull Durham. Three, The Untouchables. And two, Field of Dreams. So now, what is your number one Kevin Costner movie. Dances with Wolves. Yay! <laughs> okay. I think it's just a masterpiece, you know. Is that it? Is that all you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I mean, cinematography, um, there's a very good, I mean, I actually, bizarrely, I watched it just a couple of months ago again, um, the theatrical cut. Oh, right. Um, but there's a, a longer kind of special edition, I think a good 45, 50 minutes longer. And again, it just plays beautifully. You know, there's just more of everything. The yes. the the John Barry score, which is stunning. Um, the performances. You know, you've got Costner, but Graham Greene is is phenomenal as uh, kind of the, the the Native American. In fact, I interviewed him about a year ago. and kind of ended up talking about Dance of the Bulls. You know, and I, I mean, I think he's a great actor anyway. But he's just brilliant that because he. He's the comic relief of the film. You know, it could be a film that's very, very serious and very yes. long and dry, but he kind of lights lights up the screen when he comes along. Um, you've got, I mean, there's that fantastic buffalo hunt sequence. Um, I mean, again, great scenes. The opening, you know, where he's injured and he goes out to kill himself, kind of holds his arms out, and he ends up sort of inspiring the man that he is with. And then he kind of he's given whatever post he wants, and he he wants to go off and sort of out into the wilderness. And I think the the voiceover narration works, which 
could have been kind of very annoying and cloying. Yeah, they're very hit and miss, those kind of things, aren't they, when you have narrations like that? But it works on that Mm. because, I mean, you've got so many kind of long scenes and kind of poetic moments that 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 voiceover, it's almost kind of Terence Malicky in in kind of how it works. Um, So, yeah, it's just, and I said, great. I mean, that was a film that... um, kind of revitalized the Western, you know, kind of was a dead genre. And then, I mean, like I said before, you you, you probably wouldn't have got Braveheart no. if Costner hadn't made that, but you wouldn't have got it uh, Unforgiven. No. I don't think, you know, the Warner Brothers would have given, because, I mean, that was the biggest movie of the year. And uh, 91, I think it did like 181 million in the U.S. box office and like 400 and something globally, which today would be amazing. I mean, yeah. 30 years ago, you know, you adjust that for whatever it is, and it's probably, you know, a billion dollars, you know, mm. for a, a West, a, a film about a guy in a Western going out, sort of living with the Native Americans. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like you say, it made Westerns profitable again, didn't it? Yeah. That was the thing. And, and yeah, I've, I've already said my piece about it. So I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you got that as your number one. Well done, Niall. Yes. Okay. My number one is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> now, I have to, full transparency on this, Field of Dreams was my number one. Um, and my wife did ask me, and she said, oh, what's going to be your number one then? And I said, oh, Field of Dreams. And she looked at me like she was ready to pack my bags. She said, how can you choose that? Why isn't Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, your number one? Let me explain. Okay, so when we started going out, that was the movie that we we danced uh, alone in the cinema to um brian adams at the end of the movie when everybody had left we were having a smooch and a dance well not a smooch that makes it sound very sexual it wasn't we were just having a dance in an empty cinema that movie has always been like our movie the brian adams song has always been our song we had a cat called azim we named one of our daughters jasmina which was the name of the character that azim was in prison for if my do- my first daughter, if my first daughter had been a boy, she would have been called Costner. That was the name we were going to call him uh, if it would have been a boy. So that's the reason that there's so much family in that. That my wife was absolutely right. That Robin Hood, I mean, it wasn't in my top ten movies of all time, but Robin Hood in Kev- for, for Kevin Costner it should be my number one movie. Plus the fact that again, it's one of the it's a romp. It's a great. Yeah adventure movie i haven't seen it for a while but watching the trailer like i said i did earlier on i thought my god there's some just great moments especially with kevin costner with the bow and arrow you know when he splits the arrow he's got the the, that um slow motion shot when he's got the flaming arrow that's great alan rickman is fantastic in it as just the camping it up about as close to a carry-on villain as you're ever going to get in a movie um and like i've said before Listen to Niall's episode of the Movies in Focus podcast with the two writers because there's some absolute nuggets of gold of information there that I I didn't know about the the sequel. We don't want to spoil anything. I want people to, to listen to to your episode, but it's you look at it and you think it was a no brainer to do a sequel to that movie because yeah. it was so successful. The number one, you know, Brian Adams number one for 16 weeks or something. Everyone got sick of it by the end. Everyone had to go at Kevin Costner for his accent but i'm gonna i can I, forgive him I, for that movie, you know i can i can live with the fact that he doesn't sound like colin firth or no. whatever it might be, no. you know 
Um, but no, I, it didn't make my top 10. I mean, but again, I, it's probably one of my most, again, if it's on TV, I'll flick it on. You know, it's like a perfect Sunday afternoon film. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I lived in Nottingham for 15 years or so. Oh, did you? So I, I'm kind of au fait with the legend and the location <laughs> thing. So I kind of know quite a bit about it. So, you know, the, the, the historical, say historical, because there's, there's probably wasn't a Robin Hood, but no, I think it's a fantastic film. I think that I said that if you did have Dances with Wolves, you probably wouldn't have had Braveheart. I don't think you would have had Braveheart if you hadn't had Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if you look at the production design and the, the kind of the feel, it's very much Braveheart. You know, they could be, you know, they have a double builder, a very long mm. double build, but you, you could probably kind of, and again, the the humour and the characters, and I mean, even Braveheart, what what is... He's Robin Hood, you know. He's he's got his merry men around him, you know. Little John, Brendan Gleeson, you know. He, he sort of, you could probably break it down and come up with kind of everything that you know is in Robin Hood, is in Braveheart, is a structure. Yeah, but no. Yeah, and I'd also recommend try not to watch the cut version. Watch watch the the full on. Yeah. I don't know if they called it the director's cut. I'm not sure, but it was the full on cut. The, there are a certain couple of bits in the movie that are. Um, maybe not as PC now as they would have been back in the day, if you like, and and they tend to get cut out. But I, I just, I, yeah, it's a, my number one. I'm gonna have it as my number one. I know yeah. a lot, and people, another great score as well. Michael Caine, a, gra- a fantastic, yeah. yeah. I had that. I had the soundtrack to it. It's a, it's a great, great soundtrack. Um, okay, before we uh, have a little bit more of a chat, honorable mentions uh, at death underscore or underscore gory. Said JFK, A Perfect World, Dances with Wolves, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Untouchables, Open Range, Fandango, Ooh. No Way Out, and Revenge. Revenge was another great one. Anthony yeah. Quinn. Yeah, Tony Scott. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Uh, he said, I think JFK is his best film, uh, but after that he's got a bunch of great ones that are hard to rank. He definitely has the filmography of a man who loves the movies. At Cap Tiny App. I think Captain Yap, maybe. Sorry, Robin Hood, Untouchables, Open Range, Waterworld, JFK, Thirteen Days, The Postman, The Bodyguard, and Three Thousand Miles to Graceland. There you go. Kit Torpin said, "Oh, the biggest non-surprise in podcast history: Pav picks drumroll, Field of Dreams." I totally concur. King of sports movies with at least eight, all excellent. Darren Brown said, "My favorite is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. If you ignore the American accent, it's a great film." At jbender451 said Dances with Wolves. Uh, at Brendan O'Brien, 77, said JFK. Lisa Buchanan said No Way Out with Gene Hackman. Excellent film, but hard to go back and watch it once you know the twist. And The Untouchables with Sean Connery and Andy Garcia. Those three men and me in a room, censored, she said. Okay. Uh, Kim Penniston said I love The Bodyguard. Uh, Ross Carpenter also said My favourite is favourite by default due to my only having seen... Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So thank you very much for that, Ross. Um, so tell us a bit about your podcast now. Right. Uh, well, the Movies and Focus podcast, I've been going a couple of years now, but Movies and Focus is a website where I've been reviewing and interviewing. has been going um, 11 years this month, in fact, right. I set it up. So it, I've been sort of kicking around a bit. And before that, I kind of wrote a bit for Collider and Screen Rant. So kind of I, I thought Movies and Focus... Uh, just rather than all the superhero stuff or the stuff that you know that I didn't really want to write about, I thought I could focus on old movies, new movies, Kevin Costner movies that may not have 
sort of people wanted because I wouldn't get the big hits, things like that. So, yeah, the podcast is just me interviewing film directors, writers, producers, actors, kind of anyone, um, special guests, kind of an amalgamation just to kind of, and again, some of the stuff is current, like the things that have just been released. Some of it might be looking back on careers, that sort of thing. So it's it's just kind of my love of film, kind of over the last, well, throughout my life and then kind of doing it kind of online for the past sort of 15 years or so. Yeah, yeah. Just, you no know, places where you can live, like you know the the Robin Hood one. It's kind of I, I'm interested in finding these things out, so I hope that people that listen to them are interested as well. So it's it's kind of me just asking people questions and my curiosities about the filmmaking process, acting, directing, what whatever it might be. Kind of the, the stuff that really kind of intrigues me about the process. Well, the website. Uh, we'll be on our show notes so please go and tick it and go and have a look and have a listen to the podcast i'm going to delve into some more episodes over the next few days so uh, any any ones that you would recommend um i've got a really good one um with philip noyce the director who did dead cam uh the jack ryan movies um so that that's an interesting one graham green who i said was in dances with wolves um mick garris who does the um Postmortem podcast, horror podcast. He's kind of film director. He's got a weekly podcast. I interviewed him um, just about his life and career. There's a biography coming out about a year or so ago. He's an incredibly interesting guy who's worked with Stephen King, Spielberg, kind of they call him the League of Horror. So he he's worth listening to. So there's plenty of kind of good stuff and kind of people that I'm friendly with that have kind of gone through their favorite movies and and that sort of thing. So there's a bit of something for everyone if you're interested in horror, drama, westerns whatever it might be. So a good mix of, of odds and ends. Excellent. Wonderful. Oh, that's, that, that's me sorted for the next couple of days. There's some episodes then. Wonderful. Um, okay. Before we say our goodbyes, you can find us on all our social media on top at top 10 pods. Please email us at top 10 pods. Uh, at, see, you can tell that I don't normally do this. Neil normally does this, you see. So I'm, I'm so out of, out of tune on this. Email us at top10pods at hotmail.com if you want to get in touch or send us suggestions for episodes. Come and join us on our Patreon and support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash top10pods where there are great rewards such as bonus episodes, video playlists, limited edition merch, and you can be a guest on your own episode. And also come and subscribe to us on YouTube, TikTok, and all podcast providers. Links are in the show notes, why don't you? Niall, it's been lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and... uh, and we'll meet again for the Gene Hackman top 10, shall we? We start trying to work that one out now, shall we? For Christmas, yes. maybe. <laughs> no, do you know, it's been an absolute blast. Um, and like I said, when I came up with the top 10 costers, I was like, that should be easy. And then it wasn't. So I, It never I, I, is, I is it? Now. Yeah, it never is. But anyway, thanks so much for joining us, Niall. Um, Neil, get yourself better so i don't have to keep reading all this crap out for crying out loud get your get your knee better and everybody else thank you very much for watching and listening and let's start the countdown Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.